Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. California has reached a grim milestone. More than 60,000 deaths from COVID. So many of the people we've lost were essential workers or elders from vulnerable communities. My sister died um, giving food out to families. Um, We think that's how she got COVID. He's a really well-rounded person. Like, he wouldn't have uh, discriminated against any other religions or, you know, he was trying to find the good in everything. Family is just not replaceable. If I could get the coronavirus in place of my parents, I would. I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. We've been asking you, our listeners, to tell us about loved ones you've lost. And this week, we're going to bring you the first in a series of stories to remember them. Eric Warner died of COVID in San Quentin Prison. He was 57 years old. He was born and raised in San Francisco, the son of Filipino immigrants. He was a barber, a boxer, and a beloved brother. Eric's older brother, Hank, brings us this tribute. Having an only brother incarcerated for life leaves a hole in your heart. You long for sibling companionship and guard your secret for fear of shame. Growing up, we collected polywogs after big rains. We adventured new horizons on bikes imitated major leaguers in the schoolyard. Life was simple. We happily sang along to Don McLean's American Pie, oblivious to the foreshadowing of things to come. By our teenage years, Eric and I drifted in opposite directions. As adults, I only saw him at times of crisis, like when he lost his leg in a tragic car accident, or when I visited him at county jails and hard-to-reach penitentiaries. As he began serving his life sentence, we reconnected through handwritten letters. I committed to helping Eric survive. He needed a life of meaning and purpose, For more than 20 years, we talked about spiritual guidance and emotional fulfillment. Like workout partners, we had a regimen for building his mental and emotional strength. Complete transformation came after he graduated from rehabilitation programs. San Quentin's intense workshops gave Eric the tools to conquer his demons. He learned how to live a life of redemption. 
E, as he was known in the pen, studied law in the prison library. He handled his own appeal and successfully reduced his life sentence. But California's three strikes law, the root problem to over-sentencing and deadly overpopulation, prevented him from ever seeing freedom. His resolve would not be broken. E used his valuable new skills to help hundreds of incarcerated men fight for their legal rights. He became the prison lawyer. Now think about advocacy. From prison, from a level four prison. Doesn't have a law degree. A dude serving a life sentence, but passionate about helping people. This is Eric's friend, Adnan Khan, formerly incarcerated. He now runs a national organization called Restore Justice. I'm talking about got a judge kicked off a bench, overturned people cases, you know, even got partially his life sentence overturned, but still got struck out for the third strike and helped others never charge no one. Come on. And said, just, you know, don't forget me when you get out. That's who Eric was and is. In addition to me, Eric had Amanda, his fiance. They met when a close friend introduced his sister-in-law over the phone. Love letters and phone calls quickly ensued. They inspired one another to live with dignity. Amanda had late stage cancer. Dearest Amanda, I'm writing you this letter to thank you. You are my angel sent from God. This is from a documentary from their love story entitled Resilience, made by incarcerated men learning to be filmmakers inside San Quentin. When a doctor said you only have about a week to live, you show me how to live above the circumstances and not under the circumstances by the way you compose yourself. You asked me to call my brother and make arrangements so you can visit me. Even though you were confined to a wheelchair, you wheeled yourself up here, all prettied up, so we can share our best moments together. You said your bucket list is now complete, and you went home to God a couple of days after that. It was the only time they met in person. It was magical. I had never seen my brother this happy. That was back in 2019. Last summer, when I saw in the news that there was a COVID outbreak in San Quentin, my heart sank. I didn't hear from Eric for weeks. We normally talked on the phone every Sunday but there were no phone calls, no letters, no news. On July 18th, 2020, I received a call from a nurse. Eric was hospitalized. He had made it out of prison, only to end up in a hospital close to where we grew up. He had been in ICU for over a week. FaceTime was the only way we could visit. Eric's face, dominated by an air mask, filled my iPad screen. The whooshing sound of the ventilator drowned out his voice. He gasped for life with every breath. Our visits lasted only a few minutes. I was his cheerleader and soother. It was just the two of us for seven days. And then he passed. Soon after Eric died, I received an overwhelming number of texts and phone messages. Hello, Hank. Uh, this is Miguel Casada. I'm always a friend of your brother, Eric. 
Formerly incarcerated men and prison staffers reached out to express their condolences. All had to let me know how much Eric meant to them. And yeah, I was just calling to say I'm so sorry um, to hear of his passing, and I'd love to just share some of my reflections of who Eric was as a man and just um, offer my support. Hello, my name is Jonathan Chu, and I knew E from St. Quentin. I just got out of St. Quentin a couple months ago, and I actually just learned about his passing a couple of days ago. Hi, hey, Eric. This is Danny. I'm calling you on behalf of your brother E. You know, he is a, a good friend of my, mine, and uh, I just wanted to call to, uh, to connect with you and to see if there's any way that uh, that myself and his friends can support you and the family. And I couldn't understand what motivated these people to reach out to me. I didn't think anyone cared. A few weeks later, these same men organized a memorial to honor my brother. More than a dozen friends from San Quentin showed up. Many more couldn't be there. Ed will always be remembered by friends and family as a kind and warm-hearted person. And he was loved by so many. One by one, each person told me what Eric meant to them, how he helped them survive in prison and prepared them to get out. Then it hit me. My brother helped so many men reach freedom in every sense. It was like they owed their lives to him. This blew my mind. Now that some time has passed, I'm relieved to say that the hole in my heart is mending. I no longer feel ashamed. I admire my brother for shedding past demons and creating a meaningful life by serving others. Eric's life may have been taken by COVID, but his spirit will live on. He left his legacy. I am proud of my brother, Eric William Warner. Hank Warner lives near Los Angeles. He shared this tribute to his brother, Eric, as part of our series honoring members of vulnerable communities and essential workers who died from COVID here in California. If you'd like to submit a remembrance or invite one of our reporters to interview you about a loved one you've lost, visit kqed.org slash a year of COVID. The pandemic isn't over by any means, but we do have some signs of hope. People are getting vaccinated, including teachers. And of course, so many parents are thrilled to be sending their kids back to school. I personally am not sending my kids back yet, though. We've had nearly two dozen people in our extended family get sick with COVID. So we're not quite comfortable yet. But I would feel better if my kids could go to school outdoors. And some schools in L.A. have already been trying that. It's warm outside, and there's a field of lush green grass. This big black van, packed with science experiments, has pulled up to this park. Find your name. Your name is on your bag. Find your name, actually. This science class is an experiment in itself. 
to try to expand outdoor learning in the LA Unified School District. What is a salamander? Has anybody ever seen a salamander? It's either a type of lizard or a type of fish. These 11 kids, their first through fifth graders, are creating a path for a salamander to travel from forest to wetlands. And you can really hear the joy in these kids' voices. And then this is the land world starting off, to, and then it goes to the tundra, crosses the world, and then goes to the river. Reporter Deepa Fernandez visited some of these outdoor classrooms in Southern California to see how they're trying to make it work. I'm in the East Hollywood neighborhood of Los Angeles. It's a tiny oasis. A chicken coop, some kale, carrots and mint growing in abundance. Hi, Deepa. Very nice of you to join us at Kingsley Elementary. Karina Salazar is the principal of this LA Unified School. She's taken me to one corner of the school's playground, right by a thriving edible garden. Where our students come out, they get their hands dirty. That was pre-pandemic. COVID hit this area of L.A. hard. And with students at home learning on Zoom, the campus and surrounding streets have been very empty. But that's about to change. When discussions began about bringing students back to campus, Principal Salazar saw an opportunity to use the outdoors as a classroom. We really were inspired on how to take heat island zones and make more green spaces so that they're healthier environments for staff and students. Like so many schools in LA, this campus has a large outdoor play area, but much of it is blacktop. Yet Salazar saw the possibility for creating classrooms in various parts of the playground. Principal Salazar leads me into the kindergarten play area, which was mostly blacktop. Welcome to our kindergarten outdoor classroom. Now it's like a nature clearing in a blacktop desert with little wooden tables and wicker armchairs for the children, a wagon with baskets for the teacher to wheel the lesson supplies around, all atop a bright green woolen rug. The school had help from Claire Latanay, Associate Professor of Landscape Architecture at Cal Poly Pomona. We want intimate spaces. So you see the raised planter with shrubs growing on them. And these are, these are shrubs that will grow two or three feet tall and give a sense of separation. The classroom was designed to take advantage of the morning shade, but has large outdoor umbrellas for when the afternoon sun hits, says Principal Salazar. Our classroom spaces are meant to be flexible. We can transport them to other locations. The school has four of these outdoor classrooms set up across campus. It's a pilot program done in partnership with Green School Yards of America. It's easy to see why kids would love being out here, sitting in a circle on tree stumps instead of chairs. But what about the teachers? More than half of them indicated that they would want to be out here at least more than half of the day. Salazar knew her staff would need training to transition to teaching outdoors. Our school team spent a whole weekend in professional development session by grade span so we could really customize the content. As I'm being shown around, so two teachers arrive to the otherwise empty beautiful, campus. Beautiful environment that we have for Dennis Stain teaches Spanish immersion second grade. He's with another teacher, Anna Maschek. They're seeing the outdoor classrooms for the first time and can't quite believe it. I'm so excited about this. Especially with COVID and everything, allowing the kids to be outside, allowing them to see, to smell, to touch, to hear, all these things that they haven't really been able to do. 
Salazar says the key is having teachers be able to opt in and sign up to use the classrooms when they want. It's not being forced on them. It's really an element of choice and teacher empowerment. Kingsley students will rotate between their regular inside classrooms and the outdoor spaces. But over in Orange County, students at an elementary school there have been back in school since November. And they made it happen in part by using their school's outdoor space more full time. If your name rhymes with Barrick, you may wash your hands, Derek. Here we go. <laughs> this charter school in Aliso Viejo, the Journey School, had full time outdoor kindergarten classrooms long before COVID hit. The space is strategically set up to allow for different kinds of learning. The children oh, garden. Here's Justin with his gardening gloves. Are you doing some gardening today? I'm going to help Dara pull out the weeds. There's an area with wood pieces so they can build. I got this one. The kindergarten classes are based on the Waldorf principles of learning through play. School director Gavin Keller says being outdoors has helped keep everyone healthy, even through the winter COVID spikes. This is the fours. This is Mr. Kill Collins' first grade class. One-third of the class are six feet apart on long picnic tables under tent canopies just outside the door to their classroom. It's math time, and Kill Collins keeps his eye on his outside kids through the classroom windows. Hey, Lily and friends outside, have you written your name where it says name? Mr. Kill Collins has his class split into three. Kids inside with him, yes, kids ahead. outside at the tables, and some on Zoom. Jam a little louder, I can't hear you, honey. He's live Zooming a math lesson. They go all the way to 20. The teacher is standing right by the window with his laptop set up and a mic so he can live Zoom. All right, outside friends. We're looking for the first stop on the fours. Matthew, do you know what it is? He swivels his head to see the children outside and an aide is present to help them if they need it. What is it, man? Kill Collins is juggling a lot, but he seems able to have eyes on all his kids, whether they are inside, outside or on Zoom. Right, Gavin man. Keller says his teachers have really embraced this method and parents love that their kids can be back almost full time. But there are some challenges in having an outdoor classroom. A big one is the weather. We had a storm three weeks ago that came through that was fairly significant and we were unable to offer that instruction outdoors. And in that scenario, we pivoted to remote learning for those students that were scheduled to be outside. Keller says even if the CDC eventually removes the social distancing requirements and all children can fit back in the classroom, the outdoor setup will stay. I think that it's really handy for teachers to have an outdoor learning classroom immediately adjacent to their classroom building for students that might need a break, for small group work, for just getting outside and, and doing some, some, some work in the fresh air. So why is it that so few schools are embracing these outdoor opportunities, especially now when millions in new federal and state funding is flowing into districts to support schools during the pandemic? I asked LA Unified board member Nick Malvoin. I really think it's a failure of imagination. I think we've been dead set in our ways on how, what a classroom should look like going back to when many of us were kids, but even you know a, a century before. And it's a classroom with desks and with walls. The pandemic has provided the moment, Melvoin says, for educators to embrace the outdoors. And he, along with a growing movement, is pushing for more LA schools to replace desks with tree stumps and four walls with planted shrubs. For The California Report, 
I'm Thipa Fernandes. Deepa Fernandez is a reporting fellow at Pacific Oaks College, which is funded in part by First Five LA. Of course, what some kids will be learning when they study ecology and the outdoors here in California is that our climate is changing. When you think about climate change, it can be so overwhelming. We have so much else going on in the world right now, and some of us may just want to try to forget about it. But many Californians don't have the luxury of ignoring that issue because climate change is already happening right in their neighborhoods, like the city of East Palo Alto. It sits right along the San Francisco Bay. It's surrounded by water on three sides. It's low-lying, and it just happens to be located where bay tides come in the highest. So it's really susceptible to sea level rise. KQED science reporter Laura Clivens collected reflections from three East Palo Alto residents about living with that threat and about what they can do to protect the people and the places they really care about. My name is Filiberto Zaragoza. I'm 18 years old. When I first heard of climate change, I wasn't sure how to take it. I was still young and growing and just thinking that, oh, the world is fine and everything. But learning about it made me question what are people really doing to actually like help out. I've actually lived in East Palo Alto all my life. We are surrounded by water. My number one biggest fear is coming back here in the future only to see parts of my city are still left. Having neighborhoods that I've known and been through underwater or flooded and everything. But what I am hopeful for is change. I am a core member at Youth United for Community Action, UCA. We fight for housing, environmental justice, restorative justice. I know that in the future, as things might get worse, UCA will still be here in East Palo Alto protecting it. Hola, ¿qué tal? Mi nombre es Ulises Barbosa. Vivo en East Palo Alto. Trabajo en la construcción. La primera vez que me enteré del cambio climático, pues fue algo agridulce. Fue un contraste de emociones. Hi, how's it going? My name is Ulises Barbosa. I live in East Palo Alto, and I work in construction. When I first heard about climate change, it was bittersweet. I had mixed emotions. Me interesó mucho saber sobre este tema, y por el otro lado, pues me di cuenta que de una manera inconsciente estábamos dañando nuestro planeta. I was interested in learning more about the topic, but I also realized that in an unconscious way, we were damaging our planet. And that made me feel very sad and powerless, because at that moment, I didn't know what to do. Pues me puso como muy triste y con una impotencia de que en ese momento no sabía qué hacer. Tenemos miedo las personas que vivimos aquí en Hispalo Alto. We're afraid, those of us who live here in East Palo Alto, because we know that we've already been affected by climate change, and that if we don't get to work, we'll continue to be affected. We'd like to learn more. Right now, most of my friends and I have been taking an environmental awareness class, where they talk a lot about climate change. Vivimos en la orilla del mar. El cambio climático puede afectar a que el mar se eleve bastante al grado de que tape gran parte de Hispalo Alto y prácticamente taparía nuestro hogar, nuestras viviendas. We live along the seashore. Climate change can affect the sea level enough that it could cover much of East Palo Alto, practically covering our homes. 
where we live. I hope it's not just us, but also the rest of our community, politicians, and people around the world that unite to counteract this problem. Meanwhile, we'll continue to do our part here, bit by bit, every day. I feel really sad and like hopeful and I feel like a sense of urgency, like we have to do this, we have to do it now. My name is Christina Becerra. I am 16 years old. I feel that I have to like tell as many people as possible about what's going on and like how they can help. I always talk to my dad about how we should go solar. I really want to plant trees. My greatest fear is that when nothing is done and the time comes and all these houses flood, my biggest fear is having a bunch of people have nowhere to go or having to live with water on the ground because like it could get moldy or like it's just not safe. And having to worry about like paying rent and also like fixing your house is what are they supposed to do? Where are all those people going to go? My hope uh, is that some changes are made, small-scale changes, like just East Palo Alto itself becoming like the entire city going solar. Um, that would really motivate also other cities. And they're like, oh, look at what they're doing. We should do that too. And that East Palo Alto is able to take preventative measures, building levees, or just making sure that every home, especially those near the areas usually flooded, are prepared. We heard from Filiberto Zaragoza, Ulises Barbosa, and Cristina Becerra from East Palo Alto. We're going to close out our show today with a poem. You may know that April is National Poetry Month, but really, for me, poetry has given me joy throughout all these months of the pandemic. It's made room for a pause, a little bit more space for my interior life. This week, we bring you a poem called To Thee I Sing, A Ti Te Canto. It's from J. Bez W. Churchill. He's the former poet laureate of Ukiah. To Thee I Sing, A Ti Te Canto by J. Bez W. Churchill. To Thee, A Ti Tierra Querida, O sweet land of opulence and sorrow, I sing from roundhouses, templos of living trees and sky. Not songs that were bequeathed me, melodies played on white keys, mentiras blancas, half-truths that were sung to me, but conscionable songs to the dear departed and the unclaimed dead, those who in memory walk, shadows caught amidst the dust and broken pieces, their voices echoing from unmarked plots and repaved city parking lots across the empty zocalos of Texas and Arizona, from Mexican to the Persian Gulf and out, al Masaya, to the littered shining sea. I sing to the living, con y sin papeles, documented and undocumented queers and straights, aputas and the elected Johns, more by constituents than majority, who do not, will not hear, songs that pain and please me, melodies played on both black and white keys, half and whole notes, real notes, Notas verdaderas that they, oh sweet wounded land, might sing in harmonia with thee. 
That poem from Jabez W. Churchill came to us from our friends at KQED's Forum. They've been asking poets to record their original compositions in honor of National Poetry Month. And that's the California Report magazine for this week. We are a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Victoria Mauleon is our senior editor. Amanda Font is our director. And Brendan Willard is our engineer. Our team also includes Julia McAvoy, Katrin Snow, Hector Arzate, Carly Severn, and Alex Gonzalez. Special thanks this week to Pendarvis Harsha and Erica Cruz Guevara. I'm Sasha Coca. You can follow me on Twitter at KQED Sasha Coca. Thanks so much for listening. This is the California Report Magazine. Your state, your stories. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.